Chapter 12, Part 2 in the sermon series, The Gospel of John, spoken by Pastor Ansi Post. Have you ever anticipated something for so long that you built it up in your head, that you imagined exactly how it would be, but when you eventually got it, it was a letdown? It didn't live up to what you imagined that it would, so it felt disappointing. This could be a movie that was hyped up, or a relationship, or a job, whatever it may be. This thing that we imagined and waited for that just didn't live up to our expectations, even when it was a blessing. I actually just got back from my sabbatical this month, uh, my first one after 13 years here at Metro, and unfortunately, my father passed away one month before my sabbatical. My in-laws moved and I ended up having to pack up and clean out their house that they had lived in for 50 years. They are both collectors. <laughs> my hope for my sabbatical was to have some rest and refreshment, to travel, to see friends and family. But that is not all that happened. I felt like it didn't live up to my expectation, even though I got to travel. I got to meet up with friends and family. I even got a week away to, for rest and refreshment. But it was just not what I imagined, so it felt disappointing. The people in Jesus' time had been anticipating and waiting for the Messiah for such a long time. They had ideas of what the Messiah was going to look like and what he was going to do. And Jesus, the Messiah, was not what they expected when they were waiting and anticipating the Messiah who would come and save them. Let's look at uh, John chapter 12, verses 12 to 19. The next day, the great, great crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey colt. At first his, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the, uh, from the dead and, and raised him from the dead and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look, how the world, whole world has gone after him. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we are so thankful for your word, Lord. We are thankful that you meet us here, Lord. I ask that you speak through me, Lord, that your Holy Spirit is the one who speaks this word so that your people can receive it, Lord, that you prepare the hearts and minds of all those who are here in person or watching online to hear the word and not just to hear it, but have it take root, Lord. May your word have life and transform the people that it touches, Lord. 
Lord, we pray for all those who are here, Lord. We pray that you bless us and bless the service, Lord, and that you remind us that, we, that you love us and that we sit here as people who are loved and blessed. Praise on your precious name. Amen. We know this story as the triumphal entry, which we celebrate on Palm Sunday. But in the book of John, the, John connects this story with the raising of Lazarus. It is a continuation of the Lazarus story that we have been journeying through as a church for the past few Sundays. John's abbreviated uh, account of this event leaves out a lot of the details that the other Gospels give us. And John focuses on the crowd. In this text, we see the Jewish crowd. They had come to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. Passover celebrates the Exodus, the time when God set his people free from slavery in Egypt through the sacrificing of the lamb and the passing over and the sparing of life of the firstborn of the Israelites. The crowd in Jerusalem was welcoming to Jesus. They waved palm branches and shouted Hosanna and blessings to Jesus. The crowd had heard about what Jesus had done in raising Lazarus from the dead, and they wanted to meet him. They wanted him to be the Messiah that they had anticipated and prayed for, and amazingly enough, Jesus is the Messiah. However, he was not the kind of Messiah that they imagined the Messiah would be. They were not interested in a Messiah with a spiritual kingdom who had come to provide forgiveness for their sin and to be Lord of their personal lives. Jesus wasn't the savior they were expecting. The crowds wanted someone who would lead a revolt against the tyranny of Roman occupation and to reestablish Jewish rule and autonomy. In short, they wanted a political revolutionary, not a spiritual leader and especially not one who had come to die for their sins. Instead of re leading a war room strategy, Jesus leads his followers to a garden for a prayer meeting. And like Judas, the people become disenchanted. So within a week, these shouts of Hosanna turn to crucify him. This fickle crowd was following Jesus for the wrong reason. And because of this, their loyalty and faith did not last. Why do we follow Jesus? What kind of Jesus do we want? What are our expectations of Jesus? Today, we may not want Jesus to be a political king, but we want him to be our personal genie. We want Jesus to answer our prayers when we want him to and exactly how we want him to. We want Jesus to make us successful and rich and in perfectly good health but we don't want him to ask us to obey him or to follow him or to live a surrendered life to him. This is not who Jesus the Messiah is either. Just as Jesus isn't our a political king, he also isn't our personal genie. We need to make sure we are following Jesus for the right reasons. Amen. We must follow Jesus because of who he is, not because of what he can provide for us. Let's look at John chapter 12, 12 to 13 again. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. To understand this text a little better, we need to know a little bit of Jewish history about the story of Hanukkah. Hanukkah is about the Maccabean revolt. Two centuries before, he, um, before Jesus, there was something called the Maccabean revolt. When, they, uh, when the Israelites got victory against those people that were oppressing them. And this revolt, this revolt, and the victory of this revolt, and the reestablishment of the temple was celebrated with music and the waving of palm branches. Palm branches were a symbol of Jewish nation, nationalism and of victory over their enemies. By waving the palm branches, the crowd was, was demonstrating their hopefulness that Jesus was the messianic liberator that they, had, they hoped would free them from Ro the Roman occupation. Did you know that John's Gospel is the only one that specifically mentions palm branches in this account? Which shows that John was highlighting the political expectations that the crowd had of Jesus. The crowd had gathered to welcome Jesus, but they came with their agendas and their expectations. Why do you follow Jesus? Why are you here today? What are your expectations of Jesus? Your faith will be shaken and perhaps even destroyed if you are following Jesus because of what you think he can provide for you in terms of financial prosperity, good health, success, good relationships, and other worldly benefits. What if you contract a serious illness? What if you suffer serious financial loss? What if you never meet that special someone to marry? What if your marriage isn't the ideal storybook romance that you thought God would give you? What if your children don't follow Jesus or turn against you? What if your child has a disability? Can your faith in Jesus still stand when Jesus doesn't give you what you expected? The health and wealth and prosperity gospel tells us that if we follow Jesus, he will bless us and give us prosperity. This is not biblical. Jesus told us to pick up our cross and to follow him. The cross does not imply an easy life. So if following Jesus is not easy, why should we follow Jesus? We follow Jesus because of who he is. Jesus is God's Messiah. Amen. Jesus is the Son of God. Amen. Jesus is our Savior. Amen. Jesus is our King and our Lord. Amen. Understanding Jesus' identity is crucial because our salvation and eternal destiny rests on believing the truth about who Jesus is and what he did on the cross. Jesus is the Messiah that God anointed and sent to deliver his people from sin and rule over them as King and Lord. If we understand and believe who Jesus is, we will have eternal life. But if we have false notions about who Jesus is and false hopes about what he will do for us in this life, at some point we will be disappointed and we may fall away from our initial profession of faith. However, if our faith rests 
on the person of Jesus as revealed in Scripture, our faith will stand whether we find someone to marry or not, whether we go bankrupt or are blessed with prosperity, whether we or someone we love is, um, is sick with an illness, a serious illness, or we enjoy good health. Our faith should not depend on happy circumstances, but on who Jesus is and what he promised his children throughout eternity. This is why it is so important to spend time in the word, in scripture, so that we can understand who God is and what his will is. This is why we have the New Testament uh, Bible reading plan this year as a church-wide discipleship plan so that we can be in the word together and we can learn about God and his desires together. Just a side note, if you're not doing this, I encourage you to start now. It's okay that there's only two months left. If you are in the word one day, it is better than none. Our expectations of Jesus are usually off because we come with our needs and our desires, but don't read what the Bible says about Jesus. Jesus is the promised Messiah, and he fulfilled God's word about who the Messiah would be. We need to match our expectation to who the Bible reveals Jesus to be, not who we want Jesus to be. So what do we expect Jesus to be, and who does the Bible actually reveal Jesus to be? First, we expect Jesus to be a distant God, but Jesus is our personal king and God. He is our personal king and God. God can say from a distance, he spoke the whole world into existence, but he has always been a personal God. He was with Adam and Eve in the garden in person. He chose to save the world by coming in person as a defenseless baby. He was born to human parents and lived a fully human life. He personally experienced all emotions and temptations and struggles. He chose to personally die a horrific and painful death to give us salvation and eternal life. God's choice is to always be personal with humanity. He chooses to have a personal relationship with us. He chooses to save us personally. But I think sometimes we want a more distant God, one who is close enough to give us what we want, but far enough away to leave us alone, one who lets us live as we please, free to do our own thing. We want him close when we're in trouble, but not when we're engaging in sin. We don't want him near when we decide not to follow him or not to give or not to serve or not to read the Bible. We want Jesus to give us what we want, when we want it, just as we want it, and then leave us to our own devices. Jesus isn't a genie who grants our wishes. He is our savior who is there for us, personally. We see in today's text that Jesus is a personal God who rode in person into the place that he knew he was gonna be crucified in. Jesus knows he's gonna die, yet he still moves towards the cross. He even personally arranges for the donkey that he's riding on because he is faithful even when we're not. 
He knows that this crowd, this uh, shouts of Hosanna is not true. His love for us is so strong and his desire to save us is not based on how we welcome him and how faithful we are. His love surpasses all understanding and he died for us personally so that we may have eternal life. He is still a personal God today. He has sent the Holy Spirit to us so that we can have God with us every second of every day. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? I hope you do. But if you don't, today is a great day to start. Jesus is a personal God who wants a personal relationship with us. Second, we expect Jesus to give us victory on our own terms, but Jesus is our righteous and victorious king. The crowd wanted Jesus to be a political king who would lead a revolt and reestablish Jewish rule and autonomy. An interesting thing to note about our text today is that John starts off telling us that Jesus rides into Jerusalem and tells us about the crowd that's greeting him, then pauses to refer to this ancient prophecy, then makes an editorial note to tell us that the disciples about the disciples, and then continues to talk about the crowd. He quotes from Zechariah 9 in our text um, today. Let's look at John chapter 12, 14 to 16. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming. Seated on a donkey colt. At first, the disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. John makes his editorial note here to point us to look beyond this event to see something deeper. That there was more going on here than meets the eyes, more than even the disciples understood at the time, more than ju just Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. Let's look at this prophecy in Zechariah 9, 9 to 10. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion, Shout, daughter Jerusalem, see your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey colt, a colt, a fowl of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow from the broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. He will rule, his rule will extend from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth." The crowd wasn't wrong about Jesus being the Messiah and the king. But Jesus was a different type of king than they expected. Jesus is not a king ushering in a political victory, but a spiritual victory. Jesus is a righteous and victorious king. He is virtuous and sinless, and as such, the only one righteous enough to save us. For all humanity is sinful and fallen short of the glory of God. We are all under the bondage of sin, and we cannot save ourselves. Jesus is our victorious king, but the way he achieves his victory is different. 
He arrives as a king prepared to die so that we may have victory and eternal life. Jesus, a king who came to bring the strangest of victories, a victory that takes place through death. Jesus arrived not to conquer by force, but to give up his life and die for us. We all want to be victorious, whether it's at work, whether it's at school, at sports, in a relationship, but are we taking the righteous path towards that victory? Our culture today elevates victory and success, but doesn't really encourage taking the righteous path. Many times we want a savior that gives us the American dream, makes us successful at work, gives us great relationship, children who go to the best colleges, but are these worldly victories what God is calling us to. As Christians, we are called to follow Jesus' example. Jesus is victorious, but he stays true to who he is. He is chooses righteousness in all his actions. Even in the midst of this false and misguided welcome from the crowd and the plotting by the Pharisees, Jesus is gracious and humble righteous in his actions. He is righteous and he is a righteous and victorious king and God. Third, we expect Jesus to prove his power, but Jesus comes as a humble king who brings peace. Jesus is a humble and peaceful king, which is powerful. What does our image of power look like? Jesus chooses humility to demonstrate his power. God's idea of power is different from the world's idea of power. Jesus came and turned all the expectations about the Messiah upside down. Jesus is a humble king, and his kingdom often shows up most powerfully in the most humble. In humble places, in weak people, in easily overlooked ministries. God is calling us to be humble like Jesus. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble riding on a donkey. Jesus isn't pretentious. He isn't riding in on a war horse, but a donkey. A donkey cult, actually. Humility is the last thing we would expect from God. Think about it. The only one who has no reason to be humble is God. The rest of us should be humble, but God has no reason to be humble. And surprisingly, this rare virtue is what Jesus shows as he arrives as the king. He is not a proud king. He arrives in humility as the humble king. He is a king that ushers in peace to the nations. It takes humility to choose peace. Jesus gave up his place of honor and came to earth as a helpless baby so that peace can come to earth. He is humble, and his ultimate display of humility is not just in the manger, but on the cross. That is why he is called the Prince of Peace. Peace is only possible through humility, and Jesus is the one who brings us peace. The Jewish crowd wanted Jesus to be a war general, but not a peacemaker. 
The idea of Jesus as a peaceful God seems nice until we are the ones living under injustice. The Jewish people were not wrong for praying for rescue from the bondage of, Jewish, of uh, Roman rule. But they did not recognize that they were under greater bondage than the one they were under from Rome. They were under the bondage of sin. They were separated from God. They needed to be made righteous again. That was a bondage that they needed rescue from and the one that Jesus came to save them from. The crowd's expectations of Jesus blinded them from the victory that they had right in front of them in Jesus. I wonder how many of those people would have been waving their palm branches and shouting Hosanna and blessings if they had known that Jesus wasn't coming to confront the Roman government and to bring about freedom for the Jewish people. It isn't that God doesn't care about such things. It's just that his timetable is different and his rules of engagement are different as well. He comes in peace, even though sometimes we wish he would come to do war for us. Oftentimes the thing that Jesus requires of us is humility. The humility to admit that we are wrong. The humility to apologize. The humility to ask for forgiveness. The humility to forgive. To seek peace in our relationship. The Jesus we worship, uh, we are called to worship, isn't just the victorious king who defeated death and rose from the dead. He is also the king who is righteous, who calls us to humility, who comes in peace and calls us to peace, who invites us to enter into his death so that we can ultimately experience new life. John wrote this gospel so that we would believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God and through believing have life in him. We are called to be transformed. That is why the vision here at Metro is transformation. It's not just Metro's vision. It's God's vision for us. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul tells us that anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, and the new is here. Amen. If someone claims to be a believer but lives a completely ungodly life, that person is self-deceived. If we've been transformed, our worldview and lifestyles have been changed. The new life we have in Christ changes everything about us. We have new priorities, a new definition of a success, new desire to read God's word and to, so we can understand his will and his character better. We become convinced of the importance of prayer, fellowship, service, and worship, and giving because we want to do these things for our Savior. These are no longer have-tos, but want-tos because we want to grow in our relationship with our Savior. Transformed or transforming doesn't mean we are perfect or sinless, but that we are growing and that we sin less as we daily depend on God for new mercies to follow Jesus. When we follow Jesus, we may expect him to show up in our lives a particular or certain way, but he is always going to defy our expectations. He is going to surprise us. As we follow Jesus, he exposes our false expectations and reminds us that his kingdom is different. 
we all project our expectations on Jesus. No matter how long we've been following Jesus, it's human nature to have expectations. Growing and maturity in Christ is learning to match our expectations to who Jesus actually is based on scripture. Part of our faith journey is having our expectations refined. It's part of sanctification. This refining of our priorities is part of growing in Christ. This crowd is going to be disappointed. How we respond to disappointment is important. Are you going to follow Jesus when Jesus disappoints us? I'm going to say that again. Are we going to follow Jesus when Jesus disappoints us? There will be moments when Jesus doesn't meet our expectations. If it hasn't happened to you yet, it will come. It will be a profound moment, a moment when you get to choose whether you will pray, where you will place your trust. It can actually be a moment of formation and an invitation to deeper discipleship and deeper connection with God. In this text, we, it's not only the crowd that is disappointed. The disciples are going to be disappointed too. The disciples have been walking with Jesus for three years and soon they are going to be surprised and disappointed too. The disciples respond differently to their disappointments. Judas betrays him. Peter denies him. They literally scatter. They didn't even stick together when Jesus was on the cross. It is difficult to push past the disappointment when Jesus doesn't meet our expectation. What were those expectations that you had for Jesus. Have you been disappointed? Are you struggling to see Jesus as king because of your disappointment? Are you ready today to surrender your expectations and trust that Jesus' way is better? Do you trust that even in your disappointments that Jesus has something good for you? We expect Jesus to be our personal genie who responds to our prayers by granting them like wishes. But that is not what is promised to us in the Bible. When we allow a personal relationship with Jesus and our time with him in prayer and in scripture and quiet time to reorient our expectations about Jesus, then we will be able to surrender to God's will and our expectations will become more in line with God's expectations. The crowd wanted freedom and autonomy. Not a terrible thing to pray for. But, but if Jesus had been the type of king that they wanted, we would still be in our sin today. We would not have the victory that we have today if Jesus had just been a political king. We need to surrender our expectations to Jesus. His way is better than our way. Sometimes we think our way is better. Before I met my husband, I was dating a great guy. It was like God had helped me to meet a man who met my expectations and dreams. He went to church, he was sweet, he would send me the sweetest text messages every morning. He got me out of my comfort zone. He would somehow convince me to go hiking and go in, climb into holes and touch snakes and bugs and climb and repel waterfalls. 
I am not an outside girl, so this was different. Kind of exciting, too. He liked my family, and they liked him. But I slowly realized that although he went to church, he didn't truly have a personal relationship with Jesus. So I ended up breaking up with him. My husband, Scott, is nothing like what I expected the right person to be for me to be. When we met, he was Catholic. He went to church regularly, but he didn't know a lot of Bible stories and things like that. He didn't understand why I was going to seminary. He thought I was going to be a nun because that's all he knew about women in ministry. He's a New Jersey native who is a huge NASCAR fan. He's a high school jock and a fraternity guy. None of the things on my list of expectations for God, right? But God knew better. Scott's faith is deep. He is supportive and encouraging. He is a great father and friend. And I literally would not be a pastor today without his support and encouragement. We are very different, but he's the perfect husband for me, and we are very happy together. I had to let go of my expectations and surrender my, myself to God so that he could give me what I actually needed. In fact, I met Scott literally two months after a singles retreat where I said to God, I would rather be alone than be with the wrong person. At this retreat, I intentionally surrendered my desire to be in a relationship to God and told him I was happy to just follow him whether I was in a relationship or not. Because I had surrendered my expectations, I was be able to be open to what God was doing in my life. God could have chosen to respond by calling me to singleness. And it still would be better than my own expectations. We need to trust that God's way is better than ours and not let our expectations become blinders to the truth. The crowd was blind to the truth about Jesus because of their expectations of what the Messiah would look like. Surrender your expectations to God. Surrender yourself to humility and peace so that we can be more like Jesus. Grow in your personal relationship with Jesus as he is a personal God who desires to have a personal relationship with you. Let go of your expectations so that Jesus can do for you what he wants to do. Amen. Follow Jesus for who he is. Amen. Let's pray. As we go into this time of prayer, take a moment, take a minute, to ask God how he wants you to respond to this. Maybe there are unmet or misguided expectations that you had for Jesus. Maybe there are disappointments. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal those things to you so that you can surrender them to God. Let's take a minute.
Father Lord, hear our prayers. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to let your Holy Spirit reveal what he wants us to hear from this message. What we, what we have hidden within ourselves, Lord. Help us to release our unmet expectations or our expectations that we may have for the future or our disappointments so that they don't become stumbling blocks to us growing in our faith journey, Lord. Lord, remind us who you are so that we can truly know who we are, Lord. Lord, I place every single person that is here in person or on, watching online, Lord, that they may know you more, Lord, that they may desire to know you, the true you, Lord, not the imaginary Jesus that we have created, Lord. Lord, I place these people into your hands so I ask that you bless them, that you protect them, that you help them to break free from the bondage of unmet expectations and disappointment, Lord. Lord, we praise on your precious name. Amen.